You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, please open up your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And last week we opened up this series by just looking at the first 12 verses of this letter. And in these first 12 verses, Peter is speaking to the church that is scattered and they're on the run. They're starting to feel this mounting pressure of Rome's spirit of antichrist. They're not being fully persecuted to the point where they're uh, getting slaughtered by the gladiators in the Colosseums. Yet, that's still a few years away, but the heat is still being cranked up, and they're feeling that pressure and that persecution still. So in our series intro, I went almost an uncomfortably long time for some of us on showing how in 2022 here, the American church is facing a very similar situation. And in one sense, it was heavy, and that was on purpose, that was intentional, because once we got all of that out of the way, and you saw where you're at here in the same place as the original audience, we spent the rest of our time focusing on Peter's message of hope and encouragement. His message that there's really three themes here. There's hope, suffering, and glory. We have living hope in Jesus Christ. We have present suffering right now, of course, but there is future glory awaiting us in Christ. In the good news of the gospel, what angels long to catch a glimpse of is that this same resounding theme for not only Peter's original audience, but also for us, that we have living hope in Jesus Christ. He is the same faithful God. Now this morning, we're gonna pick up right where we left off, verse 13, and because Peter is a preacher at heart, He's not just going to give you information without telling you how to apply it to your life. And this is the way Peter breaks down the rest of this chapter. He's very good at it. I love, I love seeing his pastoral preacher's heart. But he calls us to obedience in verses 14 through 17. Then he gives us the source of our obedience in verses 18 through 21. And he also shares the results of our obedience in verses 23 to 25. Now, that's just your, your textual outline. That's not going to be our outline for the message this morning. But there's the framework, and now he's going to get very, very practical with exactly what you need to do. Focus on your living hope, Jesus Christ. Of course, yes, we got that. Absolutely. Now we're going to step one, one step further into the three specific ways that you can set your hope fully on the grace that will be given to you. That's our message this morning, setting your hope fully on the grace that is to come. So let's read the text together, starting in verse 13, down to the end of the chapter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him who as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. In 1 Peter uh, uh, 1, verse 13, he said there, to start it all off, therefore preparing your minds for action. Now, that is a good translation of of what Peter's actually saying, but it's actually not very literal to what Peter said. Some of you may have a different translation in in your lap opened up. And this first phrase, preparing your minds for action, that is what we call in translation terms a dynamic equivalent translation, not a word-for-word little translation of what Peter was actually saying. And there is a place for this from time to time, when you're, when you're taking scripture from Greek into English. And since we're talking about an ancient text that is coming from a different culture in a different time, I think this is as good a time as any to explain the difference between a literal word-for-word translation and a dynamic equivalent translation. So if you, have, if you happen to have a King James Bible with you, you will see it says something very different. It says, gird up your loins. Does anyone have... That in their Bible right now? A couple people, yeah, great. Um, and, and as I said, that's what Peter actually said because he was using an analogy from his time. But what that analogy means is really exactly what our modern translation says when it says setting um, your mind, preparing your mind for action. But in those days, men wore long robes down to their feet. And when you wanted to run or you wanted to go to work, it was cumbersome to have this robe down to your ankles. Really hard to run in something like that or to fight a battle in something like that. So if you were going to get out there and get some work done, is what you would do is you would pull up this long robe and you would like loop it around into your belt. And you basically, that's what it was called, girding up your loins. That's what we, that's what, that's what we have. But really, it simply means... Get ready to roll up your sleeves and go to work in your mind. Let's get your head straight. This is tying up all the loose ends, all those random thoughts, all those ideas, all those feelings, all those emotions that don't quite line up with where you need to go. We are preparing our minds for action. 
And this phrase, girding up your loins, did definitely have a strong military connotation. When a soldier went into battle, he made sure he had his tunic up and tied tightly around him so that he could move freely and not be encumbered with everything that was attacking him. But this passage says, you see how it says there, keep sober? What it is essentially saying is, from verse 13 on, is keep your priorities straight. straight. Think seriously. Think accurately. Be sober-minded. And then he adds, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in pulling all these loose ends together and getting your head right, you must keep in focus the future revelation of Jesus Christ. And what is that? That is when you see Christ face to face, the second coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. Notice there's more grace coming. From the moment of redemption onward, we are receiving grace, and it never ends, and all through our sanctification, all the way up to our glorification, where Christ wipes away every tear from our eyes, and pain and sickness are no more, we are receiving grace upon grace. So this verse is our launching pad for the rest of the paragraph, the rest of the text. And Peter is really good at just teeing off where he is going. Jesus is our living hope. And every time you see the word hope in scripture, it's not, I hope I have a good lunch after the service. I hope, we, I hope the service is good. It's not that kind of hope. It's the Greek word elpis, which means confident expectation. I'm 100% assured that Jesus has died, he rose again, and he's coming again. I have no doubts about that. I have a confident, real, dynamic assurance and expectation that it is happening. So our assurance, our faith, our hope, it comes from Jesus Christ, who is coming again. That's what we set our hope on. And here we go into point one. What's the first way that we really apply this into our lives? Number one, reject the passions of your former ignorance. You know, another way you could say that is be holy as he is holy. Verse 14 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. That's quite a name for your old life, isn't it? <laughs> your former ignorance? Now, I don't recommend that you go out and, and talk to a person who, who doesn't know Jesus Christ and just call them ignorant. That's probably not a good play. Uh, <laughs> This is, this is written for the church. This is a letter written to the church of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, you know what you were like before you received the grace of God. You were living in ignorance. Please don't lead with that, but that is the truth. That is the actual offensive piece of the gospel. God created the world, and it was good. Adam and Eve fell, and the curse of sin entered the world. We are all born into sin. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, our, and that curse of sin has affected everything, absolutely everything. People don't like to hear this. We don't like to think that we're not good enough. But there is something wrong with this world. And it's called total depravity that has infected every single one of us to the core. That's the gospel truth. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know it? Apart from Christ, people are in darkness, and they're blinded to the truth. 
Now, once we are saved by the grace of God, we can see that and we can, and we can look back and say, wow, I used to live for fleeting pleasures. Very similar to that song we just sang, With Great Is Thy Faithfulness. I used to spend all my time and money and energy on having fun or being successful. I used to think that Hollywood movie stars were well-adjusted citizens of society and happy people who had it all together. How ignorant. I was clueless. None of that can ultimately fulfill. It may bring temporary satisfaction, but everything this side of eternity is missing something. None of that could ever satisfy the ultimate desires of your heart. And there was a time when I thought it could, but now I see how ignorant I was. That's the spirit of what Peter is saying. Because you are created with eternity in your heart, like Ecclesiastes tells us. You have a soul that will only find peace and full pleasure in a relationship with your creator, in a relationship with God. That's why Jesus died and rose again. He offers redemption. He is making all things new, all the way up to the point that he reveals himself and gives us a new resurrected body. So here's the warning. Because again, this, this letter is not written to unbelievers. It's written to the church. This isn't how you should talk to the lost. You don't have to tell them you're ignorant. You know that. You know what you used to be. And we're talking about this amongst ourselves. This is the biblical way to look at your life apart from God. Don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. And what are those desires? What are those passions? Do you remember what you used to embrace that you now need to reject? Probably a little different for everyone. But here's some very common ones I hear. I hear people say, I used to desire to make a million dollars. I wanted just to, to arrive with financial security so I could retire early, live in, live in the lap of luxury, you know, pick up seashells on the beach and work on my golf handicap. That's my goal. I'm going to grind it out now. I'm going to work so hard now that I can't even enjoy my family because I have to make it. What an ignorant desire. We saw last week that everything on this earth can and will perish it will be defiled, it will fade. Only Jesus gives us the imperishable inheritance, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Another one that you'll hear women say, I, I used to desire men. I wanted the attention and the praise. I wanted other women to be jealous of me. I wanted to wrap my finger around the best looking man I could get my hands on. So why is that desire ignorant? Well, we're going to keep this PG this morning, but living in lust, the lust of the flesh, doesn't empower you like the world tries to tell you it does. Instead, it brings shame and brokenness. If you make any human your idol, they will fail you. So please don't be ignorant enough to ignore God's intended purpose for sex and pleasure and take his gift outside of the plan that he has for it. Sex is one of the most beautiful, greatest gifts he has given us. It's one of the most powerful gifts. And because of that, it also has the greatest potential for harm and destruction. Now, we could go on all, all day about all the different desires of our former ignorance, but this is where Peter, this is where he starts. 
To get your head in the game and to prepare your mind for action, you have to reject the lies of the world and you have to remember what your loving heavenly father has for you. What has he instructed you to obey? Follow the will of the one who loves you more than anyone else and be holy as he is holy. Now, I realize just by using this word holy, it's a big pill to swallow for some of us. It's an intimidating thing. Oh, great, David, you just don't understand. I am not like a holy person. (laughs) That's not who I am. I love Jesus, but please don't get carried away. So what is Peter really saying when he's quoting Leviticus here? He's first of all saying that God is holy, which literally means God is set apart. He's different. And as you are down here in this world, surrounded by the lost people who don't know Christ, who are ignorant in the truth of God, you should be conducting your life with the fear of God throughout the time of your exile. That's verse 17. Other translations say during your time with strangers. So once you are in Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin, you're a sojourner on this earth, and you don't completely fit in anymore. You just don't quite fit in like you used to fit in because you have a new heart, you have new desires. And just like God is not like us, he is holy, he is unique, he is set apart. There's nothing evil or wicked found in our God. You are to be an image bearer of God in this world. You are to show his glory to this world. That's literally why you were created, to be a living, breathing statue of God. You're made in his image to do that. So this is saying, be holy as he is holy. This goes, again, goes back to your mind. Ladies, you don't have to wear a potato sack and never dress feminine and and attractive just to be holy. Is is dressing all frumpy, is that holiness? Because that's what a lot of people think of when they hear, I got to be holy. That's what they think. Of course not. Is this saying, teenager, that you have to be stuck up and you have to look down on others who don't read their Bible and pray? Heaven forbid, please don't do that, not at all. That's not holiness. Is this saying, young man, that you can't work out, work hard, and push your mind and your body to be the best at what you're trying to accomplish? Maybe it's something that God has gifted you at, something that you enjoy like art or math or sports. No, you can still be holy as he is holy and push yourself in all those areas. Being holy isn't being a holier-than-thou Pharisee. It's not having frumpy style. It's not being a teetotaler. It's not being a boring ivory tower intellectual person. So erase all of those bad connotations of holiness from your mind. Being holy is thinking differently, which then informs your actions. You don't see life for what's in it for me and how can I have fun. That's the opposite of holiness. Instead, you live your life for Christ. And as you do that, you can enjoy God's creation. You can go on vacation. You can have hobbies that are productive and that that fulfill you and recharge you. All those are great things. But the important thing about holiness is that you view people and you view life in a way that reflects God's character, as revealed in his word. And Julie and I have had this conversation a few different times (laughs) in the past. 
we've crossed paths and rubbed shoulders, both of us, with a lot of people, Christians who are in the camp, that being holy means you dot all your I's, you cross all your T's rigorously, okay? We're talking about sober-mindedness. It meant that you were this cookie-cutter version of a perfect Christian. And I remember having this conversation with Julie, and we talked about how in reality, the sin of pride is just as bad as any sin. It's one of the seven deadly sins. And looking down on others and nitpicking and having a critical spirit towards other Christians or a church, that's just as bad, if not worse, than rebellion and lust. Because the sins of pride and condemnation have a guise of holiness, but they push people away from God. They create sideways momentum that pulls other, others from our Savior, Jesus Christ, and always puts the individual at the center. So these Christian crusaders, they think they're doing something for God. They're on a crusade for holiness. They even think they are sober-minded. And now you even see this on like Twitter and YouTube. Not only do you have like the world's viewpoint there, you know, the, the, the spirit of Antichrist, Babylon, is, is out there clearly. But now you have the other end of the spectrum and you have the holier-than-thou Pharisees who, who think they're doing right, but they're tearing down the church. So let me just say, you can't be holy if you're looking down on other people. Because you, to be holy, you should be looking at people the way God looks at people, with compassion. If you're uber-focused on a, on a good issue or, or a biblical point, even something that is helpful and great, but if you elevate it too high and too far and you become holier than thou, you hurt other Christians. Comes out of balance. And you're doing the opposite of this passage. You're not setting your hope fully on the grace that will be given to you. That's, where you. that's what you have to pull everything back to. What am I focusing on? Are you setting your hope fully on the grace that is to come? So, to wrap all that up on holiness, can a Christian have tattoos, listen to music other than worship music, have the occasional adult beverage? And can they still be holy? The answer is yes. You better believe it. And I dare say that Christians, the ones that feel holy and have to talk about holiness all the time, the one who look down at others, yeah, they may have all their I's dotted and T's crossed, but many times, not every time, but many times, those people are less holy and the person who is just setting their hope on Christ, living their life for the glory of God, changing the way they think and setting their hope fully on the grace that is to come. Holiness is not about being conformed to your former ignorance. And for a lot of Christians, the temptation is to start feeling good about yourself and start patting yourself on the back and forget that everything you have is a gift from God. Everything is. Don't forget that you've been chosen and adopted, and if it wasn't for God's grace, you would be exactly like the hopeless people who have no, no relationship with God. So there's holiness. Pride goes before a fall. You can't be holy and have pride because you aren't God. Now, there is for sure truth to the point that having a steady diet of the world's music and entertainment, the party scene, how is that going to help you be set apart? Of course it's not. 
You can't go the other direction and pretend those things won't affect you because they will. But I don't know what side of the spectrum you're on. Some of you need to hear, to be holy, I need to get over myself and I just need to live for Jesus. I can't be holy if I'm comparing myself to others and being consumed with, uh, with what other people are doing or not doing. And then there's those of us in the room who need to be reminded that the world is wicked and they are living in ignorance. And that's not who you are. Don't fall back into that. To be holy means you have to think differently. Your appetite has to change. If it hasn't changed, there's a big problem. Don't kid yourself into thinking that watching filthy entertainment that the world pumps out is fine. And you can resonate with the world if you do that. It's going to affect you in very negative ways. Reject the passions of your former ignorance. Peter wouldn't be saying that if the temptation wasn't still there for you, church. Be holy as he is holy. That's our first way that we prepare our minds for actions, to set our hope fully on Christ. Here's the second way. It's found in verses 18 through 21. Number two, embrace your ransomed identity. Repudiate your futile inheritance. Look again at verse 18 with me. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable, perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So here it is again. Peter is not holding back. You were ransomed. You were bought out of your futile ways. First he called it ignorant. Now he's calling it futile. It's empty. He doesn't really mince words, does he? Peter has always told it like it is. <laughs> and it's no different as he's preaching and as he's speaking to, this, to these scattered churches, pet people in these churches. I use the word repudiate here because I already used the word reject and I like to use a thesaurus sometimes when I'm preparing. <laughs> but what, is, what does repudiate mean? It means that you refuse to accept or be associated with, to deny the truth or validity of. You were redeemed out of the slavery of sin. Not with perishable things like silver or gold. You can't buy your, buy your way into a relationship with God. There's nothing you can do on earth that would ever ransom you. Your new life happened through the precious blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter has already talked about the world. The, the best the world has to offer will perish and fade and be corrupted. But Jesus is the Lamb of God, verses 20 through 21. That's your new identity. Your identity is in Christ. So to get your head right and to tie up all the loose ends, you have to get your eyes off the narrow view of you and your life in this world and you have to look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Look and live at your Messiah. He purchased you with his own blood. So here's a question for you right now. Where is your identity in? What are you putting your identity in? The undercurrent of this entire letter is about Christians sojourning in a lost and dying world. It's about dealing with the effects of sin and navigating all the pitfalls 
and the problems that we face because we aren't at home with our Savior yet. That's, that's the undercurrent of everything Peter is talking about. And verse 18 is implying that if Christ isn't your life, then your life is actually empty. And we could again think about all the different things that people put their identity in and that they make their life. First thing that comes to my mind is, is basketball. Basketball is life. Maybe you've heard people joke about that with baseball is life or, or football is life, right? That's a great teaching opportunity whenever you hear that, if you have, have a child, <laughs> to just talk about what really life is all about. But for my life, much of it, junior high, high school, it was all about basketball, like kind of to an embarrassing degree. Like I still know NBA tri trivia and history and all this stuff that I probably really shouldn't know. I still remember all this stuff because I just consumed nothing but basketball, played basketball, ate, sleep, slept, and drank basketball. You can, you can make something good your identity. Maybe it's a title you're pursuing and maybe it's your career. But if that's your identity, it's going to leave you empty. And if you listen closely to every single person who's ever made it to the top of the mountain, from Super Bowl champion Tom Brady to actors like Jim Carrey to famous Christian artists, every single one of them will tell you it's really lonely at the top of the mountain. You scratched and clawed your way up to the top, and then... When, and then you feel like you have to defend yourself because there's a hundred other young bucks who want your spot. There's always gonna be someone stronger and faster coming to break your record. There's always gonna be someone younger and prettier. Don't play that game. It doesn't fulfill or satisfy you. Here's another one. Don't force friendships with people who don't love Jesus. We're talking about your identity, right? This goes for parents as well as young people. Parents, quit worrying for your kids to have friends and be accepted. It's not worth it sometimes to fit in with people who are living in ignorance. Your kids can be healthy and happy and left out if they have a home to go to where they belong. And for everyone out there who needs better friends, I, I understand that. I've been there before a handful of times in my life. I know how you feel. I just want some friends who also love Jesus. It's hard to find that sometimes, that you really connect with. And I would just encourage you to take that to the Lord. Make him your best friend, first of all, and then pray for one really good, close friend. Stay busy, put your head down, do what you're called to do, and then just watch God answer that prayer. You could probably find one of those friends here in this church. God wants you to have friends. He knows that is a need. But, but the whole point here is just dare to be different. That is the undertow of this letter is you don't have to fit in. You can stand out. The world puts their identity in everything else under the sun. I mean, imagine putting your identity in your sexual preference. That's a very common one right now. But if you think about that, allowing your own fallen desires to dominate your life to the point that you make that your identity, and that's the badge you wear on your chest and that's all you can talk about, and you're offended when that's, when that's somehow hurting you, 
when you step back and think about it, it's, it's sad. It's horrible. That's why Peter calls it what it is. It's ignorant and it's futile. The spirit of Antichrist in this world is raging and the, 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 the world has truly gone off the reservation. They literally don't know where to stop. They, they can't stop at you accepting their lifestyle. They want you to celebrate it, right? Maybe you've heard of this really old Catholic saying, it's taken out of Romans 1, but it goes way, 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 way back, like before like, you had the Catholic Church in America. But, but the saying goes, first, we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, then we persecute those who still call it evil. You follow that? That's what the world does. You see that all the way back with the Israelites in the book of Judges. We talked about that last week, and it's still the context of 1 Peter 1. The only way you can tie up the loose ends in your mind, and some of you probably want me to use the word gird your loins up right now, the only way you can do that and get your heart right is by embracing your ransomed identity and repudiating your futile inheritance. Refuse to accept or be associated with. Deny the truth or validity of the lies of the world that those things matter. The old lifestyle takes you nowhere. Embrace your ransomed identity. That's number two. Here's the third way that you can set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Number three, love one another from a pure heart by obeying the imperishable word of God. Verses 22 through 25. Look at verse 22 again with me. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So when you step back and look at what Peter is saying here, really, verses 19 through 21, if you're looking at your Bible right now, Verses 19 through 21 are just one big parenthetical breath. Peter is, is like that guy who just cannot shut up about Jesus, right? So if you look back at verse 18, and you, if you take out verses 19 through 21, he's just elaborating right there on Jesus Christ because he loves Jesus so much. But look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And then like, the, like my friends who just don't know how to like hold it in, I have this thought, but I'm talking about Jesus right now, so let me elaborate more on what Jesus did before the foundation of the world. He, he, he knew me. He chose me. That Jesus, the one who God raised from the dead, gave him all the glory, your faith and hope are in him. But knowing, back up back to 18, knowing that you were ransomed from feudal wells, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, move up to verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. 
What he is saying is you're not living the perishable life anymore. This is not about silver and gold. Money fades away. We're talking about something that is greater. Love one another from a pure heart since you have been born again. So you boil down your life. What really matters? What is at the core? What is at the heart that matters the most for eternity? It's definitely not things. It's not awards. It's not power and influence. The only thing that really matters is your Savior, Jesus Christ, and the people that you are to share Jesus with. That's what matters the most. Love God and love others. So to really get your head right, to tie up all the the loose ends, to set your mind fully on the hope that will be given to you, obey the truth, and through that, you will love people because God loves you. And when you see how much God loves you, that he created you to do that, he created you to love, now the things of this world and all the different methods and all the ideologies I know they're all going to fade away over time. But the truth never changes. It's what we've been singing about this morning. And the ultimate source of truth is God's word. Right here. You can hold it in your hands. You want to truly love people? Well, there's a lot of half-truths out there. There's a lot of images of the truth. There's a lot of traces of the truth. There's great stuff that you can get from books and in seminars, and conversations with people. But you need to drink from the spring of life itself because this is unaltered truth. It's better than drinking from the, from the tap at your house. Yeah, I, don't, I don't even care. Even if you have really good well water and you have like reverse osmosis filtering system, it doesn't matter. It's not the same as drinking from the spring the fresh water source. You can drink bottled water. You can even go all out and get like an alkaline water system, which is great, by the way, and I I wish I had one of those. I don't care what kind of water you're drinking, whether it's heavy water or mineral water. Nothing compares to drinking straight from the fresh water source. And we have a living spring of truth. It's the word of God. And when you read the word of God, if you're a Christian, Think about how you know the author of the book. Before you read, you can, you can lay the Bible on your lap and you can say, God, I'm opening my heart. Please speak to me through this. Show me what you have for me. The Holy Spirit is the author of this letter. He is alive in you. And his word is alive. It's living and active. There's something amazing going on here when a believer in Christ opens up God's word. Never underestimate that. Everything will fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Think about how there is nothing more valuable that you can pick up and hold than the word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And notice how Peter says the living and abiding word of God. To abide is to faithfully stay, to camp out with. The word of God is not going anywhere. 
Throughout history, the, the world and the spirit of the Antichrist has tried to stamp out and destroy the word of God. There's been numerous times where it was illegal to own a Bible and Bibles were burned. You, you just trace it throughout history. But here we are. Nothing's going to stop this. This is God's word. It's preserved for you. And if you need to get your head right, the first thing you have to do is abide in Christ through the word of God. That's the first thing you have to do. If you feel discouraged, open up the word of God because this book reveals truth. The truth that we have to mold our feelings and our emotions to. God gave us our feelings and our emotions. They're great. But they're also affected by the fall. Of course they are. Everything is. And so if you're feeling something, if you're thinking something, you can't get over it and it's in contradiction to what God says is true about you, to what he has revealed in his word, your feelings change. Your emotions, they go up and down. You have to align those with this book that never fades and never perishes. Allow this to shape your feelings. Combat the lies of your enemy with the truth of your good father. I mean, you may need to write that down. The only way to really get your head right is to combat the lies of your enemy with the truth of your good father who knows you, who loves you, who created you. He knows everything about you. The angels are standing there with their, their jaws dropped like God is going to do that through them? I've seen, this, I've seen this person since they were a kid. I've seen how many times they've been disrespectful to their parents. I've seen how many terrible mistakes they've made. I've seen how many people they've hurt and crushed because of their own selfishness. And now God is doing this amazing work, the same God that spoke through Moses and Jacob and David and Mary. That God is working through that person now? The people right here in this room, that's us. This word is good news. In it and through it, we see our living hope, Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Would you stand up? We're going to sing to our Savior. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior that curse His body bound and trenched in tears Laid him down in Joseph's tomb The entrance by every stone Messiah stood 
with Romans 12 and say this verse together. Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You are loved.